1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. And I think it's awesome, those testimonies that we heard. Uh, specifically, I think it's really interesting uh, how, like Alan said, he invited that person to church with the door hanger uh, in the summertime, right, you said? And then Gloria, she had invited her co-worker that came this morning to church also back in July. Uh, so you just never know. You, you can, like, all, that just shows us that we just need to do our parts in inviting people. And then sometimes it may take God just one day putting it in their head, hey, look, you need to go to church. So you just never know. So, uh, you know, we just need to do our part and we allow, allow God to do the rest. Uh, but I think that's awesome. You know, God will, will bring things to fruition as he sees fit in his time. Uh, so I think that's a great, uh, some great testimonies, and I appreciate that, and praise the Lord for that. So look, we're in 1 Kings chapter 8, and uh, it, I, just to kind of maybe remind everybody, it's been a while since we've been in 1 Kings with everything that's been going on, but just to give you some kind of a recap of what we've looked at thus far in chapter 8, remember, they brought the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, and then when that happens... Uh, God filled the temple, uh, his Holy Spirit, his presence was, was in that temple, and uh, to the point that the people that were in it, they had to get out, uh, because his presence was so strong, and then remember, uh, the last thing that we saw was that Solomon addressed Israel, and uh, he, as they were getting ready to dedicate this temple to the Lord, and now we're approaching uh, one of the most famous prayers of the Bible, one of the most famous prayers of the Old Testament, and this prayer is known as a prayer of dedication as the temple was finally complete. Now, this prayer, like the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, it gives us a tremendous example. Uh, it's a great example for us as we take the time to pray. And you, most of you here, you know, last week when we were looking in the book of Mark, what did we see Jesus do? We saw him separate himself so that he could take the time to pray. So tonight, that's what is going to be talked about again, uh, and we're also going to go over some things next week as well. But look, you cannot talk about prayer too much. Prayer is something that we need to do. And prayer, it's really something that's easy to not do, isn't it? It is easy to go a day or two or three without prayer, and sometimes you don't even think about it. But as a Christian, it should be a part of our everyday life too, because to pray is to commune with God. That's what we need. We need an interaction and a communion with God. And every day that we go without prayer is to enter an endeavor without the power and the guidance of God. Hey, listen, every one of you and myself, we desperately need God. So therefore, we desperately need to pray. And Solomon, he knew this. And there really is, uh, there, there's great beauty in the act of prayer. We could talk about prayer and, and we could just, we could talk prayer about prayer for a year. I could preach on prayer for a year and not even scratch the surface of what the Bible has to say about it. But there is great beauty in the, the, in the act of prayer because the, the fact that we have the privilege of petitioning and speaking directly with the God of heaven, it's really mind-blowing. And just think about this. Here you are, there's billions and billions of people on the earth. And there's been billions and billions of people on the earth in the past. And the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, he can hear from you. He, can, he wants to hear 
from you. He wants you to pray to him. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible that he would uh, want that. But even more wonderful is the full ability that we have as individuals to pray without going to a temple. Remember, in order to speak to God, the Israelites, they had to go to this temple. They had to have a priest mediate on their behalf. But today, because we are living temples, those that are in Christ are living temples. And therefore, Christ, he mediates on our behalf. And it's such a joy to know that, that I don't have to go to a priest. You should thank God today that you don't have to come to me to tell God what you want. You don't have to come to me to pray to God or to give your petitions to Him or your praise to Him. It's a joy to know that we no longer need the temple. We no longer need priests because we have Jesus Christ. And He hears us in heaven. As we pray, so since he hears us, what should we pray? Well, the prayer of Solomon, he gives us great help with answering this question, just as the Lord's Prayer does. And, you know, many times when it comes to prayer, we could be very easily guilty, and we are very guilty of what could be called a selfie prayer, where you just, it's just a prayer that is focused on ourselves. God help me do this. God do this for me. And listen, there's nothing wrong with petitioning God. There's nothing wrong uh, with asking God for things and asking God for guidance and help uh, in our day. But our prayer should be focused on God. It should be focused on who He is. And as we look at this uh, theologically rich prayer of Solomon, we see a prayer that is totally focused on God. And really, this prayer can be broken up into two parts. First, praise, but also petition. And in Solomon's prayer, we see a sevenfold petition, which we're not going to break down this until next week, but you know, we're going to break down and work through this, and it will help us in our prayer life. But I just want to kind of mention what these petitions are. Uh, there's a petition and a prayer for justice, a prayer for rescue, a prayer for provision, a prayer for deliverance, a prayer for outsiders, a prayer for victory, and a prayer for restoration. But again, before we get into that, uh, it's really important to see how Solomon approached God in prayer. And a lot of times, it can, you don't even think about approaching God in prayer. Obviously, uh, we, can, we can approach God boldly, but we need to approach Him with reverence. That's it. Approaching God is not something that we should do flippantly. Uh, and this prayer of Solomon, it teaches us how to approach him when we pray. So we're going to go ahead and dig into our text and see this great prayer and how it relates to the greatness of our God. So look at 1 Kings chapter 8, look at verse 22 and verse 23. It says, And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hand towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath, who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants, that they walk before thee with all their heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you'll just help us this evening as we look at this, uh, really the subject of prayer, something that uh, we can so easily neglect, but it's something that we need to do. It's something that we are in desperate need of. We are in desperate need of you, so therefore we're in desperate need of praying. I pray that you help us to pray. Help us to make it a part of our everyday life. And that our, our prayers won't be focused on ourselves, but that they will be focused 
on you. And we thank you so much, God, for being so kind to hear our prayers and, and to answer our prayers. I pray that you will uh, just help us to keep that, that in our remembrance and in our minds, that you would uh, hear us. And, and, and we've done nothing to deserve that, God, but we thank you for that. I pray that you'll be honored and glorified in this service and in the preaching of your word. In your holy and precious name, amen. Now before Solomon prays this prayer of dedication to the temple of God, uh, he gets into a specific posture of prayer. And this posture, it holds great significance. It tells us that he stood before the altar of God where he would be present. And it says here that, he, in verse 22, that he opened his hands and he lifted up his hands uh, towards the sky. And uh, it's funny that uh, we're going through this because it was just the other day where it was one of the kids, James or Josiah, they asked, they said, Dad, are, are you supposed to fold your hands when you pray? Like, is that what you're supposed to do? And you can, but the Bible gives us different postures of prayer. There's different ways that people would pray. And this posture of prayer that Solomon did as he stood there and he held his hands up in the air and opened them towards the sky, this, this posture expressed need and help. Solomon was asking God, I need you. I need your help. Please help me. And Moses, he did this in Exodus chapter 9 when he asked God to take away the plague of hail from the Egyptians. He knew he needed God. The psalmist of Psalm 88 did this too as he desperately sought God for relief in the midst of sorrow and pain and grief. Let's go there. Go to Psalm chapter 88 and see this. Psalm chapter 88. Look at verse 1. Psalm chapter 88, verse 1. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down in the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in the darkness of the deep. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves, Selah. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Let me just stop right there. It's pretty obvious that this person's in the depths of despair. He's having a difficult time. He needs help. Look at what it says in verse 9. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. The psalmist needed help. He needed God. And you know, in times like these, it is good to just take the time to just cry out to God and lay your burdens on him. And when you have times like the psalmist where you feel broken and you feel like you're in desperate need of God, you can bring your burdens to him. And he, he will listen to your prayer. And as Solomon, as he prepared to pray with this dedication, he knew that he was a needy man. And he knew that he was among a needy people. But he knew that he had an all-powerful God that was ready to listen. He was ready to help. He knew that the Israelite nation would need divine providence from the Almighty God. 
And as he lifted up his hands, uh, really as a man and as a nation that was desperate, uh, desperate in need of the Almighty God, he then begins his prayer with praise. Let's go to back to 1 Kings and look at chapter 8 again. Look at verse 23 again. Verse 23 of 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, verse 23, it says, Psalm said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. Before Solomon speaks to God about his request, before he gets his petitions to God, he begins by praising God as he is the one true God that reigns over heaven and earth. He, he says, hey, there's no God like you. And that's so true. And you know what? Praising God. Listen, praising God is a great way to start our prayers. In fact, the very first line of the model prayer that Jesus prayed, it is a declaration of praise. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. just want to look at this one verse. The Bible only records, and I just want to say this, the Bible only records one time where the disciples asked Christ to teach them, teach them to do something. And the one thing that they asked for him to teach them to do is pray. We can learn a lot about prayer just by looking at the model prayer. Now the model prayer, it's not something that we have to repeat. It's, it's, it's a model. That's what it is. It's, it gives us a framework of how to pray. And this praise to God it's a good way to start out our prayers as seen in the model prayer. Look at verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. He says in verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When he says our Father, which art in heaven, right there we see reverence. Father! Father! We see reverence and honor given to him. And then he says, hallowed be thy name. And that word hallowed, it means holy and separate is your name. To put in the words of Solomon, God, there's nobody like you. You're separate from all others. There is no name like your name. It is praise. Hey, listen, he is above all gods. There is none more powerful than him. He rules over all things. He's high and lofty. And yet, he hears the prayers of the meek and lowly. And he's worthy of our praise. And he's worthy of praise in our prayers. And you know, look, our prayers should not only consist of what we want and what we need. It should consist of praise to God for who he is. Now, it can certainly be easy to forsake prayers. I've mentioned before, and, and again, a lot of times when we pray, what do we do? We ask, ask, ask. Ask. And again, it's good to ask. We should ask. God wants us to ask. He wants to grant our petitions. But who among us would want anybody to only take the time to talk to us when they want something or need a favor? You all know people like that too, by the way, don't you? People that just come to you whenever they message you, whenever they call you, whenever they get a text, you're thinking, what do they want now? Right? Why would we do that to God? Again, it's good to ask, but God's not some genie in the bottle. He does not exist 
to grant our every want and our every wish. We exist for His glory. We exist to praise Him. And when we pray, we should praise. And starting off a prayer with praise was a common thing to do. And it's a good thing to do. I want to look at a couple places where a prayer started out with praise. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Most of you probably know this. This is uh, Hannah. And she prayed. We know that uh, she prayed for a child, Samuel. And she got her child. God gave it to her. And we know that she prayed for him. Uh, and, and while she was praying, Eli thought that she was drunk. Uh, but God answered her prayer. And look what it says in 1 Samuel 2, verse 1. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. For there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. In other words, there's no God like our God. And he is worthy of our praise. Hey, listen. When something great happens in your life, you ought to praise God for it. When something terrible happens in your life, you ought to praise God. You don't necessarily have to praise God for what's happened. But you can still praise God because he still keeps you. You're still alive. God's just given us so much. We need to praise God. Let's go to Psalm 103. <clears throat> Another prayer. The book of Psalms, it's full of prayers. In the heading of my Bible, there's different... Uh, Things that say the prayer of affliction or the prayer of this or prayer of that. It's full of prayers. Psalm 103 is a prayer. And look what it says in Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Hey, if you ever have a time where you are struggling to find something to praise God about, and you're struggling to find something to, to, to pray in praise to God, go to Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5, and pray that. It's a good thing to pray the scriptures, by the way. Pray that. He has forgiven all of our iniquities. He's healed, he's healed us from our sin. He redeems our life from destruction. He gives us loving kindness and tender mercies. He's just an awesome God. It is good to praise God in prayer. And this is a great way to approach God as we pray. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Look at verse 24. He says, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 24, Who hast kept with thy servant David, my father, that thou promised him? Thou speakest also with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand, as it is this day. Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David, my father, that thou promisest him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit 
on the throne of Israel, so that thy children take heed to their way, that they walk before me as thou hast walked before me. And now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto thy servant David, my father. Solomon continues to praise God even more due to his wonderful mercy and keeping his end of, the, of his covenant with all that keep their end. And he recalls to mind the promise that God made to his son, made to Solomon, David's son, remember, as he said that he would complete the temple. Now we've looked at this time and time again, how uh, God promised David before he died, your son's going to complete the temple. We know that David really wanted to complete the temple, but it wasn't God's plan for David's life, right? It was God's plan for Solomon's life to complete the temple. And again, we, we've seen that, but I want to read uh, the, the promise of God uh, from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, that he gave to David, uh, speaking of Solomon. He said, And when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and will establish his kingdom. God had promised David also, not only will your son complete the temple, but also that he will be the king. And he will establish his kingdom, and he is still holding up that end of the deal today. But God kept his promise to David. And this is another great example for us in prayer. Solomon here, he was praising God for what he had done, for keeping his promise. And look, not only should we praise God for who he is, but we should also praise God for what he's done. And think in your life. Over the span of your entire life, what has God done for you? <laughs> we should be able to have a very long list of what God has done for us. And all that he has done, it proves how great he is. Now Solomon, he praised God for keeping his promise. And uh, really his promise that he made back then, but he keeps every promise that he has made even now. He's done so many wonderful things for us. He, and, and look, he has and he will cling to every promise that he has made. So we too should cling to them and thank God for them. There are so many promises in the Bible. There's a lot of I will statements or uh, I shall statements or he will statements. And we should look for those. And we should cling to those uh, and thank God for those. I, th I have a couple written down I want to read. I think of Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. When Christ said, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. That's a promise. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains shall not depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Man, aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for those promises? And that's not an exhaustive list either. There are so many promises of God in the Bible, and it's good to look for those promises. It's good to cling to those promises. And as we find them, may, may we cling to them and praise God for them in our prayers. And then, in our text, uh, Solomon he then speaks to the omnipresence of God after he praises God for keeping his promises. Again, he's showing forth the glory of God in his prayer. Look at 1 Kings 8.27. 1 Kings 8.27. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house 
that I have builded. So Solomon, again, he praises the glory and the wonder of God as he is unable to be contained. And think about that. God cannot be contained. He's everywhere, and he cannot be confined to a building. He's not confined to a place. And while this house was built for God, uh, as God chose to dwell among his people, Solomon knew the vastness and the immensity of God. And, you know, today we know that he's not confined to a building. He's not confined confined to this church. But he is uh, dwelling in the body of his children, and he is in the whole earth. Uh, Paul, he spoke of this too in Acts chapter 17. Let's go there. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. As he uh, spoke with his sermon on Mars Hill with the, and talked about the, the unknown God, he spoke of the, the vastness of God and, and how he cannot be contained by anything. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 24. It says in verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Listen, God dwells everywhere. He's not, he cannot be contained, he cannot be confined. And this further proves, again, Solomon's prior statement that tells us that there is no God like our God. And like Solomon, Paul, he highly exalted our great God. But before Solomon gave his sevenfold petition to God, he humbly goes before him. He humbly has that posture where he's begging God to help him. He's telling him, I am needy. Uh, and he then humbly asks him to hear his prayers. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 8 and look at verse 28. 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8, look at verse 28. Solomon continues his prayer. And by the way, this is a long prayer. Uh, this is going to take a while to get through. Uh, but First uh, Kings chapter 8, look at verse 28. It says, Solomon said, Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy, look what it says, servants, and do his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken to the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. And hearken thou to the supplication of thy servants and of thy people Israel, when they shall pray toward this place, and hear thou in heaven my dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. I want you to notice here, in case you, couldn't, you didn't grasp my emphasizing of that word, uh, he, Solomon uses the, that word servants. When he uh, asks God to hear and answer his prayers, he says, Thy servant, four times, he calls himself a servant of God. He's the king of Israel. And here we have, despite the fact that he's ruling as king over the Israelites, Solomon saw God as his superior and the king of all. He saw himself as a servant. And in this, 
We learn. As I mentioned this morning, the only way that we could ever come to God is with humility. Again, this just kind of drives that point home. Look, worship with a heart of true humility is the only way to worship God. We need to go before God in prayer knowing who He is and what we are. And if we do that, that will change our prayer life for sure. We are unworthy sinners. We have a privilege of praying to a holy and perfect God. And Solomon, he illustrates this very well uh, to us uh, of how we are to come to God in prayer. We are to come to Him humbly. And Jesus Christ, He agrees with this assessment assessment as well as he made this point in a parable in Luke 18. Let's go there. Let's go to Luke 18. I love this passage and and the whole, uh, everything that takes place here. It's really, uh, it's really awesome. And this really shows us how a sinner must come to Christ, but also how we should come to God in prayer. Look at Luke 18, verse 9. Verse 9. It says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that were righteous and despised others. Jesus said this, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as the other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That was his prayer. The prayer of the Pharisee. Look at verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, Rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Man, I love that passage of scripture. This scripture, it richly displays the doctrine of justification by faith. As it contrasts the self-righteous Pharisee and the broken publican as they prayed. You know, the, the Pharisee, he saw himself... As a spiritual and clean and doer of good works and in good standing with God. But this publican saw himself for who he was. A sinner desperately in need of God. Now, we are only able to be saved if we see ourselves for who we are. Sinners in need of a Savior. We need the righteousness of Christ imputed on us because in us there is nothing good. We know that from Romans chapter 3. We just looked at that on Wednesday. But while this scripture really illustrates very well the doctrine of justification by faith, uh, it also illustrates a way that we have to go to God in prayer in general, humbly. We can do it boldly. Like I've said, we know that the Bible tells us that we can boldly come before the throne of grace, but we need to remember the holiness of God and the sinfulness of our flesh so that we can properly pray and do so in a worshipful manner. The prayer of this Pharisee, it was self-centered and self-glorifying, wasn't it? 
It was all about him. Man, thank God I'm not like these adulterers. Thank God I'm not like this publican. Can you imagine standing in a place and saying such a thing? It was self-centered. It was self-glorifying. But that prayer of the publican was God-centered and it was humble. The prayer of this Pharisee. It was made where he would be seen and heard as he boasted about himself. But the prayer of this publican was made away from people as he begged God for mercy. This Pharisee saw himself as a clean and moral person in comparison to the publican. But this publican saw himself as vile and depraved in comparison to God. This Pharisee, he wanted the eyes of men upon him as he prayed this self-righteous prayer. But the publican wouldn't even lift his eyes up as he prayed his simple and broken prayer. And isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus heard the prayer, the simple prayer of that publican. It wasn't anything fancy. It didn't have some, uh, a whole bunch of theological uh, words in here that most people would understand. It was a simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, sinner. It was simple, but God heard it. And the only way to pray is to pray humbly because we are all broken people praying to a holy God. The words of Benjamin Witchcote ring true. He said, none are as empty as those that are full of themselves. Look, nothing good stems from pride. And, and we all have pride, right? We all do. Anybody that says, no, you're full of pride, <laughs> right? We all have pride. It's something we have to look out for. It's something we need to seek the Lord about. We have to ask God to examine us. But, but nothing good stems from pride. It was the pride of Pharaoh that would bring upon those ten plagues of Egypt that left that place in a destitute state. It was the pride of Nebuchadnezzar that would cause him to be removed from his throne and placed among those wild beasts and to live as a wild beast. It was ultimately pride that would bring destruction to Sodom and Gomorrah. Pride brings about no good thing. And understand tonight that pride is so tragic today because God will not listen to the prayer of a proud person. Let's go to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse 6. Psalm 138, verse 6. It says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. The only way we can come to God for salvation, the only way we can come to God in prayer is humbly. And look, how could any of us come to him any other way? We need to keep this in remembrance. That there's just the greatness of God and the lowliness of ourself. And we need to realize that we stand in desperate need before a mighty God that meets every need. And look, may we believe the words of Charles Spurgeon, he proclaimed, I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. Solomon, he knew how desperately he and the Israelites needed God. And with humility, he begged God to hear and answer his prayer. And like that publican, Solomon knew that the, the sin that was in their hearts, 
He understood that they would fail. He understood that they would do wrong. And he desperately desired for God in his mercy to forgive them when they had sinned. Let's go to 1 John or 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 again. Look at verse 30. One of the main purposes of the temple was to get forgiveness from God. And that's what Solomon desired, that they would have forgiveness from God. And look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 30. It says, And hearken now to the supplication of thy servants and of thy people Israel, when they shall pray toward this place, and hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. Solomon, he, he knew the importance of forgiveness. You know, when the Israelites, when they sinned against God, when they turned to idols, when they disobeyed His commands, when they murmured against Him, they would be punished for it. Bad things would happen. Look at verse 35. It says, When heaven is shut up, and there's no rain, because they have sinned against Thee, if they pray toward this place and confess Thy name and turn from their sin, when Thou afflictest them. Look, Solomon he understood that bad things would happen if his people did not obey God. Uh, in these days, the goodness of God would be cut off due to sin. Now today, understand this, regardless of what we do, if we are in Christ, we know that doesn't matter what we do, what, no matter what happens, our hope is in Christ. He will continue to bless us with innumerable spiritual blessings, including our eternal security, our eternal salvation. But you need to know, that unconfessed sin hinders prayer. And it breaks fellowship with God. We remember that verse in James that tells us the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. David Guzik said of this righteous man, he said, this is someone who recognizes the grounds of his righteousness resides in Jesus and whose personal walk is generally consistent with the righteousness that he has in Jesus. He says, A righteous man's prayer availeth much. What does that mean? It means that it has power and it can accomplish much. Hey, I want my prayers to accomplish something for God. And if we live righteously, then it can do that. But on the flip side, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So we need to keep that in mind. He desires to bless us and fellowship with us. He wants to give us answered prayer. But when we choose to sin and we leave that unconfessed and we break fellowship with God, we build a barrier between ourselves and our Holy Father. And when we sin, we must confess it to God. We need to restore that fellowship with God again. And if we desire our prayer to be heard, and we desire to see it to be accomplished much for the glory of God, then we must live in fellowship with God and making sure that we do, as 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us, that we confess our sins, for He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. E.M. Bounds said that prayer is the greatest of all forces because it honors God and brings Him into active aid. Look, prayer can accomplish great things, but we must approach God appropriately in prayer. To pray is to be plugged into the source of power, which is God. And we must approach Him with worship and humility. There's so much to consider with this wonderful subject of prayer. We ought to praise Him when we pray because He's done so much to deserve our praise. And we ought to go before Him humbly. 
as we are a sinful and broken people before a holy God, we're in no way worthy to even utter a single word to Him. And yet, we can bring all things before Him. And we need to be sure to keep short accounts with God so that we can continue to abide in Him and see Him work in our prayers. Just as we get ready to close, just think about this for a moment. Do you want your prayers to be effective? Do you want to have prayers that make a difference for God? Just consider tonight, what are you praying for? What lost soul is in need of salvation? What stray child needs to return to the Lord? What need do you have that you're praying that God will meet? I don't know what everybody in this room, what, like what's going on in everybody's life, but you know. What are you praying for? Come before God in humility and live holy before Him and watch Him work. He listens and uh, He will allow the prayer of a clean vessel to be effective as it tells us in James. So look, are you approaching God humbly? Are you approaching God broken? Are you approaching Him as a righteous person that looks to please Him? We need to approach God in our prayer as Solomon did. Needy, humbly, praising, aware of our sin, and desiring forgiveness from God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.